Hey, good morning, Victory Life Church. Welcome. Great to see you today. Welcome to our continuation of our 2021-2022 year-long series known as Pursue, Connect, and Ignite. Uh, You know, we operate with this assumption that God is always pursuing us. Uh, We mentioned last week that John 5.17 says that God is always at work in our midst. So that means that God is always pursuing us, and so we just want to take, take a moment in time whereby we pause and we pursue him because he pursues us first. And we know that when we do that, we'll connect uh, one another to the things of God, and we ourselves will connect to him, and the church will ignite. And so that's a part of what this series is all about, Pursue, Connect, and Ignite, and you're going to hear more about that this morning, and we are really excited about that. If this is indeed one of your first times visiting with us today, we want to extend a very special welcome to you and invite you to check us out at vlchurch.com. There is a New Here tab on our front page, and if you click on that tab, there will be a form for you to complete. We ask that you do that, and we will connect with you uh, sometime this week. Speaking of connection, we do have a digitized bulletin. If you look on the seat back in front of you, there is what is known as a QR code. If you take your smartphone, if you have one, you can actually scan that QR code, take a picture of that QR code, rather, and our website will pop up, and you will see our weekly bulletin so that you can stay connected and informed on all things that are going on here at Victory Life Church. Really exciting stuff. 
Speaking of exciting stuff, we uh, are going to be launching a lot of life groups here in the next few weeks, and we encourage you to get involved, get connected to a life group so that you can pursue the things of God. We have life groups for everyone. Uh, We have life groups for young adults, for men, for women, for couples, and all topics uh, uh, we have life groups for. And so life groups are a perfect avenue for you to pursue the things of God while connecting with others and seeing him ignite his presence in your life and around you. And so you can get signed up at our website at vlchurch.com. There's a life groups banner there. Click on that banner and get connected to a life group. They're going to be awesome. Also, I want to make mention of the fact you may have received an email about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We are having Baby Dedication Sunday in two weeks from today. Our Baby Dedication, uh, as you might know, is a time when we give attention to consecrating and devoting our children unto God. Uh, We know that God has a plan for each human on planet Earth, including our children, and so we ask you as a congregation to be there and to participate in it and to hold up a hand and pray for these young people uh, because we want for them to be raised up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. And so if you have a little one that you'd like to uh, dedicate unto God, please go to our website at vlchurch.com. There's a baby dedication banner there for you. Uh, Click on that banner and fill out that form, and we'd love to dedicate your young one unto the Lord. Uh, If you've come this morning to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, uh, you know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give, you can give online, and you can also give as you exit the sanctuary today. And also, I want to remind you that uh, we do have a benevolence ministry that we give to once a month. So when you go to uh, giving on our website, there's a drop down for the benevolence ministry, and our benevolence ministry is here to meet the needs of of the people and the community around us. And so that's what they did in Acts chapter 2, where the church gave to anyone as they had need, and we know that the church ignited uh, because of it. So if you'd like to give to our benevolence ministry, we encourage you uh, to do that this morning. Can I ask you to stand as we uh, prepare our hearts for worship this morning? Let's pray. Father God, what a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. There is indeed joy today in this place because we celebrate the fact that you are a God who heals, you are a God who saves, you are a God who always makes a way. You did that when you hung upon a cross and you went into a grave, but you defeated the grave. And we celebrate that now. And so may you turn our hearts to you as we express the joy that we have for all that you are, for all that you've done, and all that you will do in our lives. And it is for this reason, among so many others, that we come to worship you now. We ask that you'd bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together this morning. We can put our hands together. There's joy in this house. Let there be joy. Come on. We worship. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. 
He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Let there be joy. There is joy in the house of the Lord. There is joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. today. We have a God who is worthy, a God who is holy. He brings joy to our lives because God the Father sent Jesus the Son to bridge the gap between life and death. We were on a road destined for death, but Jesus Christ, through his cross and his resurrection, has bridged that gap this morning. 
That's why we sing, and that's why we have joy. Let's remember this morning what Jesus has done for us. Amen.
alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. All my praise, you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. You alone. Would you tell him this morning in your own way? It's you alone, Lord. We thank you. We praise you today. We love you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He alone can rescue. Worthy is the lamb who is seated on the throne. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. And God saw fitting to exalt him to the highest place. To seat him on that throne. Because he was obedient to death on the cross. He's given the name above every name. He was holy, set apart for service to his father, and he obeyed. And as he rose to life again and ascended into heaven, he is seated on the throne today. The saints, the 24 elders, the four living creatures are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Is he worthy of your worship today? Is he worthy of your praise today? I say yes. I say yes, he is. Worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth so that we could be united to God our Father. We will worship you. We will praise you. We will give you our highest praise. For you alone are worthy.
Lord Jesus, there is not an expression of worship that we could give unto you this morning that would be too much, that would be overdoing it, that would be out of line in its exuberance. There is no amount of emotion that we could feel toward you in terms of love and adoration, respect and wonder that would be out of line. There is no amount of time nor eloquence of speech to give just due to your power and wisdom, your love and your mercy. And there is no personal connection that we can make in this life as sweet as the times where we put you in your rightful place and you speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we sing about your holiness, your otherness, your utter perfection, that we would be reminded today and each day that that holiness and that utter perfection was demonstrated in your love for us, your patience with us, and your forgiveness of all of our sins. Lord, we stand before you full and free today with a veil that has been torn, nothing between God and man because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we thank you, Lord God, today that we get to join with Peter and Ruth and David. We get to join with Esther and John and Paul kneeling our hearts before the creator of the universe and the lover of men and women's souls. Thank you for this precious time. And we pray, Lord, that we would continually give it to you in the days to come. We ask that you would bless the remainder of our time together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I am excited to speak these words for the first time in over 18 months. Young disciples, you may be dismissed. <laughs> now, for those of you who are a little bit newer to VLC, you'll say, what just happened here? Well, we believe very strongly in discipling our young disciples with all of what God has for them. And a distinctive of Victory Life Church for the past 30 years has been that we very much desire our young people to worship with us. We think that's a powerful tool in the hands of the Lord because 
it is through our worship that we believe, people begin to believe that our faith is legitimate. And, and I'm going to make a very simple, a simple allusion today, a very simple way of explaining this. Today at 4.30, many of our children will see idiots like me running through the house for a touchdown and jumping around and being very excited for a bunch of Neanderthals trying to kill each other on the gridiron, right? My kids need to see the exuberance of my worship far more than they need to see that. They need to see that my faith is real to me and that I will worship the Lord as, it, as is described in their Bible, right? Because the, 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 our Christian forebears worship the Lord with all their heart. And as we sang Revelation song today, we sang words directly from Scripture about what's taking place in the halls of heaven today, that, that those heroes of the faith are kneeling before the Lord today and being exuberant in their worship of him and that we are participating with them. So we believe very strongly that if we can't create that environment for them down the hall, that we need to have it with us. And it's a powerful tool in the hands of the Lord for children to worship with their parents. But also we recognize our limitations. And our limitations in discipleship are simple. I don't speak well to children. In fact, last week as we had them in for Vision Sunday, I realized that I called the Samaritans half-breeds and heretics. <laughs> and I thought, what am I doing preaching to children? Okay. So we believe very strongly that we need to fight to disciple these kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we need to put them in a position to hear a message on their level. And that's why we dismiss them to young disciples to get a message on their level with someone tra- who is trained to give them a message on their level. Because you got to fight to disciple people, don't you? And so that's what's going on here. And when COVID hit and we were very, very intentional about all of our social distancing, we, we, we moved the kids down the hall for the entire season and the entire session, I should say. But uh, now that we have installed our new children's director and we're getting back to some normalcy in terms of our ministries, we want them in here worshiping with us again. and So they'll start with us on Sunday mornings, and then they'll make their way down the hall because it's so important that we disciple people, isn't it? Where they're at and on their level. It's so important that we connect people to the story that God has for them and begin to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of Jesus Christ as best we can, whether they're 3 years old or 30 years old or 63 years old. So important that the church fights to disciple people. Because the church doesn't exist to put more people in the seats. The church doesn't exist to hear preaching, though I hope you'll tune in for the next few minutes. The church doesn't exist to put on the best music that we can. We exist to make more people who act like Jesus. And that takes intention. And in this world, it takes even a fight to disciple people. I want to talk today about the fight to disciple people. And I'm going to be talking about that fight to disciple people from Acts chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to actually eight verses today. There's a little story that takes place between Acts chapter 6, 1 and through 7. But I like sometimes to get rid of the like subject headings and the chapters because those weren't in your original Bible. So we're actually going to start in verse 542. And then we're going to move through Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. We're going to start in 542. Last week, we talked on Vision Sunday about the ignition of Samaria. We talked about a church that ignited because someone had pursued the voice of the Holy Spirit and someone else connected others to Christ. 
We talked about the power that Jesus displayed in Samaria and how much that meant to the woman at the well and how after the, dis- the display of the power of God hit her life, she couldn't help but to hand other people off to Jesus and show other people who Jesus was and an entire village came to Christ. Well, I want to talk about an ignition of a different kind today. I want to talk about the ignition of a good church becoming an even gooder church. Or maybe a great church becoming an even greater church. And it's not about numbers, it's not about nickels, it's not about, as we sometimes say in church circles, nickels and noses. But there's something powerful that happens when the disciples get really strong on connecting people to the mission of the church. Now, there's a lot going on in this day and age with who is your pastor and what church do you go to, and people have a lot of pride around that. But imagine being able to say that your pastor was the Apostle Peter. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, who's, who's the associate pastor? Yeah, the Apostle John, right? Who else is on staff? The rest of the disciples. But that's what was taking place in Acts chapter 6. The church in Jerusalem was very much, at that point, the only church in the world. It was growing, and there were thousands of people that were coming to Jerusalem, and they were staying in Jerusalem to get discipled. Because how do you become a Christian if nobody teaches you about Jesus? How do you become a Christian if you don't learn to do Christian things? And so at the early stages of the church, thousands were flocking to Jerusalem, and they were staying for as long as they could to be trained as disciples of Jesus Christ under the original 12 disciples. But I want to show you how by making a connection to the mission of the church, the church ignited even further. But to do that, I want to show you a story of something that went wrong and then went really, really right. Let's start in Acts 5, 42 and following. It says this, And every day in the temple... And from house to house, the Christians did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let's stop right there. So what's going on? The church is growing. They're meeting in Solomon's portico. They're having a big church service with everybody. And then they're breaking out into smaller groups and houses so they they can be trained to be disciples. But we're going to find out right here, red alert, that the best church maybe of all time wasn't perfect. Someone wasn't getting connected to the mission of the church. Someone wasn't being taken care of. Now I want to explain before I explain the problem sort of the vision and the mission of that church. The vision of the first church in Jerusalem was to be the seedbed for the rest of Christianity. Those 12 disciples who in the book of Acts are called apostles, they sort of take on a title change. Apostles means those who are sent. They were sent by Jesus. So those, those 12 apostles are now developing all of these people to be Christians and then go, as Jesus said, into Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the seedbed of every church that it will ever be. And so people came to Jerusalem, and they were staying. And as I mentioned, they, they would meet in the big church. They'd go to Solomon's portico, this huge pavilion in the temple complex of Herod at that time. And they'd, they'd have big church. 
And then throughout the week, they'd have a little church. They'd have what modern churches call life groups, right? They'd meet in their house churches, and, and different leaders, different apostles would go from house to house, and, and people would ask questions, and they would teach what Jesus had taught them, and the stories that we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were passed down, and, and how Jesus interpreted the Old Testament was passed down, and they'd pray together. They loved to eat together. Christians still love to do that. Thank you very much, Jimmy's Backyard Barbecue and Harold's Glorious Mac and Cheese from last week, right? And so we've got, they love to eat together, but there was something very unique about their mission, and that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. They were doing a daily distribution of food. Now, in the ancient world, in the synagogues, they did a weekly distribution of food for the poor. But, but here in Jerusalem, this, this early church with thousands of people in it are doing a daily distribution of food for those who are in need. Now, we learned earlier for everybody who was in need, but more specifically widows at this time. Because if a widow had come to Jerusalem, maybe on a pilgrimage from Galilee in the north of Israel, or, or maybe they're a Hellenist widow, a Greek-speaking widow, so they've maybe come from Turkey, or maybe they've come from Alexandria, Egypt. They've made their way to Jerusalem. They found out that Jesus was the Messiah that they've been waiting for. They've given their life to him. They've been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they decide, I want to stay i got to stay in Jerusalem because I don't know what it means to be a Jesus person. I have no idea. I, I could go back to, to Alexandria, Egypt, or, or, or Ephesus in Turkey, or, or even my hometown in Galilee, but, but how, do, how do you act Christian? What does it mean that the world's changed, that Jesus has died for my sins and risen again, that I might have eternal life? What does that mean? What do I do now? So people would stay. Well, the people with the least amount of means in the ancient world were widows. And so, so the church had to support them. And we learned earlier on in the book of Acts that people would sell a piece of land. They'd sell, a, they'd sell an item that was expensive. And they would come and they'd lay the money at the disciples' feet. And then the disciples would make sure that everybody was taken care of. Except that people are getting missed. And they're not just getting missed. Holy moly, they're getting missed along racial and ethnic lines. See, there was two groups within that early church. There were those who lived in Israel and spoke Aramaic. And when they went to church, when they went to synagogue, they would have been hearing everything in Hebrew. All right? They would have been hearing that. Their whole church service would have taken place in Hebrew. The Hellenists are ethnically Jewish people. They are Jewish people. But they lived throughout the Mediterranean world which meant that thanks to Alexander the Great 300 years earlier, they spoke Greek, not Hebrew. And their synagogue services took place in Greek. Could you see how there would have been division just naturally within the early church in Jerusalem? So these pilgrims from the Greek-speaking world would come, and they'd come to hear that Jesus was the Christ, and they'd believe that he was the Savior of the world, and they'd want to stay, and they'd say, yeah, we take care of everybody here. And they'd say, wonderful, I can stay here in Jerusalem as long as I'm being taken care of, except they weren't. This is bad. This is not good, right? Because the most foreign, the most alien, the, the most, the most uh, uh, vulnerable of the population, these Hellenist widows were being missed in this distribution of food. This is not good. But something has to be done. Why does something have to be done? Because in that church... At that time, part of their mission was to feed people, physically. 
Because they recognized if we can't feed people physically, we don't have any option to feed them spiritually. Is this making sense? So, so we, we, we have our mission statement, how we do discipleship, join, live, tell. Theirs would have been join, live, tell, feed. Right? Because they had to. Or else they wouldn't have had the opportunity to disciple people. Now, I don't want anybody to get any ideas about that. If you start expecting us to feed you just to come to church, good luck. All we have is some kind bars and some very strong coffee. That's all we have here. So don't come here for your physical sustenance. Eat a nice hearty breakfast, then come to church. Now, let's see what the disciples do about that. Verse 2. So the twelve, that's the apostles, that's the original disciples of Jesus, they summoned the full number of disciples. That's all the believers, okay? And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will then appoint to this duty. But we, the twelve original disciples, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. You can read about him in Acts 7. And Philip, you can read about him in Acts 8. And Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas. We can't read about them, sorry. Apparently they weren't as important. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they were set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So the apostles recognized something. As the church grows, doing the mission of the church gets harder, right? It's harder to make sure that everybody gets connected and everybody gets taken care of and no one gets neglected. And they realize they have to reorganize big time. And so what do they do? They say, we can't be the ones to make sure everybody gets fed physically because we're responsible for making sure that people learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can't do both because we were the ones who were with Jesus, We were the ones who were taught by him for three years. This isn't about uh, serving tables. We don't want to do that. This is about them being in the right role and realizing they have to reorganize strongly in order to do the mission of the church. And the mission of the church was to make disciples, but they couldn't make disciples unless they fed disciples. And this is so important. Because at this point, they could have got frustrated, thrown up their hands and say, well, we're not going to distribute food anymore. I mean, because this could have got out of hand real quick. I mean, they could have just said, listen, listen, our job is to feed people spiritually. We can't feed people physically forever, so we're just going to stop. But they knew what the mission of their church was at that time. They knew exactly what their church was doing, and so they needed to make provision to feed people. Now, I'm sure somebody walked up to the disciples. I'm sure, because I've been a pastor long enough, somebody walked up to the disciples and said, well, this is not going to be physically possible forever. We're not going to be able to feed people forever. Eventually, the money's going to run out. Eventually, we can't do this. Eventually, this isn't going to work. This isn't a sustainable model. I'm sure somebody said that. You said, on the basis of Scripture? No, just on the basis of human nature, right? Someone said you can't feed them forever, and that's the truth. They couldn't do this forever. They didn't do this forever. Eventually, this church got scattered and went to the four corners of the earth and preached Jesus. But for now, at that time, They held fast to the mission. And the mission was to create the conditions by which people got discipled. Are you catching it? The mission was to create the conditions by which people were discipled. And in this case, they had to feed them, so they acted aggressively. They acted very aggressively. They said to the whole group, pick out the ones among you who we know are have a really good reputation, who we know are full of the Spirit, and who we know have wisdom. 
Now imagine that. This very early church, this, this, this church in its infancy, and there's already people who don't have any titles that have displayed these things. There are no trustees. There are no elders. There are no life group leaders. There's just people. And they, they assumed that God was working so strongly in their midst that there would be no problem finding seven people with a good reputation who had demonstrated that they were full of the Spirit and who they knew had wisdom. Isn't that cool? I mean, this is the early, early church. This is the early, early church. Now, I don't know how that might have happened. We know that the disciples did acts and miracles and their prayers really had great efficacy, that God had delivered people from jail miraculously. There were powerful, amazing things happening in the church through its leaders. But certainly on some level, the, 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 the average folks of the church were already demonstrating that the Spirit of God was at work in their lives for such a statement to be made. You say, how do, how do you know if someone's full of the Spirit? How do you know? Be, because you know. That's how. Because it's all over them. And you absolutely know it. I remember a couple of years ago, a new family came to the church. And the wife of the family says, you know, my husband's still working. He's very, very busy throughout the week. But I'd like to come in and just share with you a little bit about how we came to faith. A little bit how we found Victory Life and just where we're at. So you as pastor know us and can use us in ministry how you see fit. I said, that sounds great. So we had a great conversation about her conversion and then her husband's conversion. And we, we talked about what God had been doing in their lives the past 10 or 15 years. And we get close to the end of the meeting and she says, can I pray for you? And I said, yes. Yes, you can. You know, as a pastor, you're supposed to be the one to pray, right? So I said, yes, of course you can pray for me. And this woman began to pray for me. And right there in my office, I felt the presence of the Lord so very strongly, just as strong as you feel in the greatest worship service you've ever been in or at the end of the best message that you ever heard. And I thought, oh, you're full of the Holy Spirit. I, 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 can, I can feel that in a real and meaningful sense. And that person has demonstrated for the past three years as they've been a part of this church that they have wisdom, they've built a good reputation, they give of their time and, and their talent regularly, and they can be trusted because the Holy Spirit is all over them. Well, in the same way, the early church already had people demonstrating that. But here's the cool thing. The people that they chose were all Greek speakers. Stephen, Parmenas, Prochorus, Timon. Those were all Greek names. So not only do the apostles appoint new people into roles of leadership, but they're appointing newbies into roles of leadership. How do you appoint newbies? into roles of leadership, well, you better be certain that the Holy Spirit's all over them, right? Because their wisdom and their good reputation is going to be bolstered by the fact that there is a real and meaningful relationship between them and God, and that can be demonstrated. And the disciples, in their wisdom, made sure that though their intentions were probably pure from the beginning, they were never going to be able to be accused again of any kind of racial insensitivity. Smart guys, right? If all the people distributing food are the Greek speakers, no one will ever again say, hey, hey, they got two loaves of bread and I got one, and I wonder if it's because I speak Greek, right? It's never going to happen again. These guys are so aggressive. Look at the very last person that they appointed in verse 5. 
Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, I know you use the term proselyte all the time in conversation, so I won't explain it to you. No, what, what a proselyte was, was someone who wasn't ethnically Jewish. He wasn't even ethnically Jewish. He was somebody who had converted to Judaism, converted to the faith of Jesus and the disciples, and then come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. This guy's not only new, but this guy can't be trusted because he's not even a half-breed. He's a no-breed, right? It's incredible what the disciples do. What's going on here? Why does Luke spill ink on this story? Did Luke, you know, put on his glasses and put in his pen, protect, or pen protector or pocket protector and say, I'd like to tell them a story about wonderful church administration. Is that what the story's about? About church administration? It's not. Look at verse 7. Here's the effect. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. If you would be so kind, please say multiplied greatly with me multiplied greatly, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So so at the time that they were adding to their number daily, things were going good, but there was a problem. Not everybody was getting connected to discipleship. Not everybody was put in a position where they could be discipled because they were going to have to go home And the disciples, what do they do? They press in and they make sure that the mission of the church continues and continues in strength so that people can get discipled. The church honed in and paid attention to what God had called them to do for that time. And they increased the level of connection for people who weren't getting connected. And the blessing of the Lord followed. That's what this story is about. I've said it to you before, and I'll say it to you again. Writing in the ancient world was incredibly expensive. The the things that that the writers of the New Testament wrote down were incredibly important. John says it in John chapter 20 or 21. He says, I could fill all the books in the world with stories about Jesus, but I wrote these things specifically so that you might believe that he is who he says he is. He's like, "I, I could have gone on and on. I just can't, right? can't. Luke couldn't go on and on either. This story is of great importance because he connects us to a story that teaches us some really important truths, some things that we need to grab hold of as as a community of faith. And I want to give you three takeaways that I see from this story that are incredibly important in light of verse seven. And it's firstly is this, when a church fights to disciple people, blessing follows. This issue that was raised of, of, of we're not feeding everybody, we're missing people in the daily distribution, we're, we're not fully unified, we're, we're not doing what we need to be doing. But, but when, when that happens, big changes happen, big reorganization happens, big risk takes place. They risk it here by bringing in all of these Greek speakers, folks that would have been unknown to them, folks that didn't walk and talk with Jesus. Folks that hadn't listened to any of his sermons. Folks that were only getting the gospel secondhand. Folks that didn't have a Bible even to read yet. They had Genesis through Malachi, but Mark and Matthew and Luke and John and First and Second Peter hadn't been written. This, this was a great risk that they took. This was, this was big. 
They were giving away power. People don't like to give away power. Did you know that? The disciples are giving away power and influence. They're saying, we can't do this anymore. We need other leaders in the church. We need need other people to step up. They do all of this. They reorganize. They get it going. They appoint new leaders. They lay hands on them and pray. There it is again, laying hands on people and pray all over the New Testament. Let Let us commission somebody for the future that God has for them. They, they, they engage in all of this to make sure that nobody gets missed. To make sure that everybody's connected to the mission of the church. Because making disciples was their aim. And they had to feed disciples to make disciples. We learn a second truth from this story, and I think it's incredibly important for us to, to gather as well. When new people take ownership of the mission, the reach of the church grows. When new people take ownership of the mission of the church, the church's reach grows. Not only do they multiply greatly, but a great many priests became obedient to the faith. These would have been the men who walked into the temple and engaged in the sacrificial system and helped people prepare and get ready to sacrifice their ram or their goat or their lamb or their pigeon. They would have received the alms in the temple. They would have made sure the temple was beautifully clean. The priests were coming to the faith. You know what the priests were saying in that moment when they came to Jesus? There has now been a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of humanity, and our job is done. The priests were believing themselves right out of a job. Do you see how powerful this moment is in church history? I mean, we'll do a lot of things, but, 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 but to, to work ourselves out of our own job, that's tough. The priests are working themselves out of their own job because something's going on in the church that's so powerful. The church is making sure that nobody is neglected, everybody is connected. And don't you think the priests looked at that and went, whoa, we couldn't have that type of effect. Our now civic organization could not have rallied people to a cause like that. And these new leaders of the church, like Philip and Stephen, they didn't just serve tables. You read the rest of Acts. God used them not only to bring about the conditions by which the church multiplied greatly, and the priests went, but they went out and they ministered beyond their title or pay grade. Because when people get connected to the mission of the church, the reach of the church grows. As you walked in today, there was a little little thing that just re-explained for a moment the mission of Victory Life. We're super creative and we're brilliant. Did you know that? Did you know that? We have remade how to make disciples in the modern world here at Victory Life. We figured that we should probably get disciples who believe in Jesus baptized. Thank you. Thank you. We thought that we should have a way to get newer people connected to the church, so we we have growth track. I know. Brilliant, right? Right? And then, then because, you know, because we're really brilliant, we thought it's not only important that people get discipled in the big church at the temple, but it's important they break out into smaller groups and build connection and pray together and, and grow in Christ in a smaller setting, so we have life groups. It's brilliant, isn't it? It is so innovative. I have to put this away because, you know, we didn't get any of our ideas, our ideas from here. So, so we, we, 
we have life groups. And then we have ways for people to volunteer because Jesus says they'll, they'll know you by your love for one another and how you take care of one another. So we have ways for people to volunteer in a growth track. We, 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 we find out what people's giftings and passions are. They even take a DISC assessment. <laughs> so we find out what their personality is so, so that they can serve in the right place because, because we're brilliant. And then, oh, here, this will really just, just knock your socks off. You ready for this? Then we have something called the workshop. It's, it's the tell the story element of our mission where we encourage people to evangelize on their own. Like where we teach them how to practically be the hands and feet and mouth of the Lord Jesus so that new people come to faith. It's brilliant. And we came up with all of it on our own. I could take you through the mission statement of 52 churches and they would all be cool and they would all be trendy and they would all, I love ours, join the story, live the story, tell the story. But in many ways, we're all doing the same thing because how you make disciples hasn't changed in 2,000 years. You got to connect people to the mission of the church. You got to give them the opportunities to learn in faith and grow in faith and pray in faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be used by God to serve their community and be used by God to share the love of Christ outside the doors of the church. It's not brilliant, but it takes intention. This is a story about intentionality. And new people got connected to the mission of the church. So I think it's very important, just as in that church they would have said, we got to make sure people get fed. Andrew Fullerton needs to be able to say, you know, I went through growth track, and it helped me get connected to the church, and I know you're newer. I think you should go through growth track, right? Because it's not brilliant. The church isn't going to try to condition you into the cult. We're just going to tell you what the church is about, find out where you're at in your walk with the Lord so we can better disciple you. That's it. Or if you've been going here for four years and, and you're, you've gone through growth track, but, you, but you're, you don't have that connection, you don't feel like you're doing life with other Christians, you don't feel like you're growing. Have you been part of a life group? That's a great way to connect with other people. Are you serving on a team somewhere? Serving is a great place to, to, to get to feel like family in the church. Or have you, have you gone to the workshop? Maybe, maybe your life in Christ feels a little bit stagnant because you're just not practically leading other people closer to Christ. And, and the workshop's all about helping you to use your gifts to lead people closer to Christ. Do you know about the workshop? It's not brilliant. It's, it's, not, it's not revolutionary. But when new people take ownership of the mission, the effective reach of the church grows. And it's important that we know what the mission is and what we do and how we do it here to make sure that we can reach groups that we haven't reached before because the people here are being discipled. A church is only as good as what we can do with the people God sends us. And we need you who are invested in Victory Life to help disciple them with us. We need you to point them in the right direction when they come into this place to make sure that no strangers and aliens to us get missed. Because those Hellenist widows, they were the marginalized. And when the church cares about bringing in those who are most foreign, 
And when the church cares about bringing in those who, who, who are, are most different, and when the church cares about bringing in those who, who don't have a connection yet to the church and wrapping their arms around them and saying, this is what the community of Jesus Christ looks like, God moves among that group. And that's the last point. When a church makes sure that newcomers are esteemed, we bless the heart of God. It's a reasonable act of worship when we do things like this. It's not a church growth strategy. I always think the church should be growing. How about you? Amen? More people should come to know Jesus. More people should get discipled. More people should be telling the story of Jesus. Amen. We always think the church should grow, but when we talk about vision and mission in churches, it's not a church growth strategy. It's our reasonable act of service to the Lord. We love the Lord. And while you were far off, and while you were estranged from God, Christ came after you. And, and, and how many passages says, love the alien and the stranger. Take care of the ones who are in your lands that God sends you. When we esteem those who are new in our body, we're just blessing the heart of God. Partner with us. Use your good reputation. Pursue the voice of the Holy Spirit. Operate in wisdom and partner with us to connect other people to the mission. It's not brilliant. It's really simple. But it's the place by which people are transformed. There's a gentleman in our congregation who's probably watching right now. He's home very, very sick. He's relatively new to our congregation, three, four years old. He's having a rough time. And every single week, whether it be in my prayer meeting or in an email or by text, I hear about the members of his life group who have gone over and brought him a meal, laid hands on him and prayed for him, mowed his lawn, encouraged his wife, reached out, shown love, been the church. And I think to myself, in very real time, wow, that's it. That's just disciples being disciples. God's people being God's people. Amen? But I think about somebody, somebody connected him. Somebody esteemed him. He hasn't been here 20 years or 25 years or 35 years. Somebody worked to make sure that he and his wife were connected here and could get discipled here and could grow with other believers here. And now at one of the hardest times of their life, the Lord is ministering to them through God's people. And I think, amen. 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 Let us fight to connect people to the mission of the church. It blesses the heart of God. It, it, it increases our reach into this world. And most importantly, it creates the conditions by which people can get discipled and changed forever. I thank God for your people. 
that are ministering to he and his wife right now. And I thank God that they were discipled by someone who someone else discipled by someone who someone else discipled. So this fall, as we talk about connecting, we mean connecting. Not just to the mission of the church, but to the life of the church. Because we're going to need each other like never before in the days to come. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, what great humility the early church had to pass down and then write such an embarrassing story. And what a testimony to us today that we don't have to be perfect, but just as they did, we must fight to connect people to the mission of the church, fight to make sure that they get discipled. Oh God, would you, in your mercy and in your wisdom, touch our hearts today to remind our, each and every one of us that this is not just the business of those who preach and teach the word, but this is the business of all disciples of Jesus to create the conditions by which more people can be discipled. God, help us to be intentional with the ones that God sends us. Help us to show practical love and friendship to those who come in these doors and need to be discipled in this place. Help us, Lord, to buy in to what you've called us to do. And most importantly, Lord, let us be a church where more and more people come to know Jesus as Lord and more and more people enjoy the benefits of being part of the family of God. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand today? I bring you greetings from the men's retreat. AJ and I came back last evening. No one got shot. There was hatchet throwing. No one was impaled. So, but those guys are worshiping up at Stony Glen this morning, and it was good to be there with them, but it's been wonderful to be here with you. God's been present. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in this place today. Send us from this place ready to make disciples. Lord, in whatever way you call us in the days and weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.